Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 536 with Julian Treasure. Julian is back talking about how to listen and be heard. So you'll learn, one, a crucial question for more powerful listening and speaking. Two, the two biggest roadblocks to effective communication. And three, how to make your voice more engaging. If you want the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep536. Now here's Julian's story. Julian is a sound and communication expert. He travels the world training people to listen better and create healthier sound. He's the author of the books, How to Be Heard and Sound Business. Julian's five TED Talks have been watched more than 80 million times. His latest, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, is in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. Julian is regularly featured in the world's media, including Time Magazine, The New York Times, The Economist, and the BBC. Julian's also the founder of The Sound Agency, the audio branding company, asks and answers the question, how does your brand sound? Big thanks to Julian for taking some time to chat with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provider compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Julian. Julian, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Great to be back, Pete. Thanks for having me again. Well, I, I'm delighted to be having you again. And, and you say you've learned a lot uh, in just the, the gap of time between when we last spoke about year two here. So can you maybe tell us, to, for starters, what's one of the most fascinating discoveries you've made in the realm of sound and communications and the new insights? Well, the biggest thing going on at the moment is through my company, The Sound Agency, we've launched a new product which is aimed at improving well-being and productivity in open plan offices. That is a variety of space which blights the lives of millions and millions and millions of people all over the world. You know, noise is the biggest problem in open plan. It's, it's kind of okay for collaboration, although research is now emerging showing that even for that, uh, there are challenges. We tend to send more emails in open plan offices, even to people who are really close to us, because people don't like being overheard. There's no privacy or privacy, as you would say. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, that idea of sort of free form, easy collaboration across the desk may be a myth. Even so, when you come to other kinds of working, concentration, particularly where you're trying to do solo working, it's a nightmare, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows that. It's so hard to think when there's somebody behind you talking about their great night out or whatever it may be, we're programmed to decode language. We have no earlids. 
So unless you're going to put headphones on, and we can talk about that as well as a strategy, then you're really stuffed. I mean, we have bandwidth for about 1.6 human conversations. So somebody talking behind you is taking up one of your 1.6, which reduces your ability to listen to the voice in your head that you need to be listening to when you're trying to work or write or do numbers or whatever it may be. And that is absolutely destructive for output. I mean, the research shows we can be as little as one third as productive in that kind of environment as we would be in a quiet space. So it is a really big problem. And we've developed a product called Moodsonic. It is biophilic. That may be a new word to some people. Uh, that means it's based on nature sound, the sounds that we've evolved to over 200,000 years, you know, wind, water, birds, those lovely sounds, which again, research is starting to show are actually really good for us. Uh, birdsong has been now used therapeutically to help people recover from stroke and various other ailments. Wind and water, similarly, the research is starting to show that natural sound like this is actually good for us. Oh, that's really cool. So, so folks just listen to it with headphones and, and then they are sort of inoculated from a lot of the, the downsides of the open office plans? Well, no, actually, if this is broadcast through loudspeakers in the space. No yeah. So huh. it replaces a lot of offices where there's a problem with um, privacy, put in something called masking sound, which is a pretty nasty noise. It's a mechanical noise, filtered white, pink or brown noise, uh, which is designed to mask speech. But I've always had a suspicion that's not very good for people. It's artificial. It doesn't sound very nice. You know, it's sort of kind of like right. all day going through loudspeakers. So you cease to notice it after a while, but that doesn't mean it's not having an effect. And the research is starting to show, again, that this actually increases cortisol levels. It creates stress hormones in people, which makes you tired, a bit antsy, and it's not good for you in the long run. So we're replacing that kind of artificial noise with biophilic generative sound. That is to say, it's created by a computer based on algorithms, probabilities. It flows organically, just like the sound would if you're in a forest. So we uh, developed this product based on scientific research, and it's designed to be beautiful and effective and good for people. So it's going to be a very exciting 2020, I think. Well, that is cool. Sound is your thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and there, here's a big sound problem and, and you're going after it. So that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's really cool. And uh, I want to listen to some of this. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. And then I've launched my course. I, I spent most of last year putting everything I know about speaking and listening skills all the way from the very basics up to advanced public speaking skills into an online course. And the main reason for that is I had a pulmonary embolism two years ago. Oh, dear. Yeah, it came from a DVT. I, I mean, I was flying a lot, you know, and anybody out there who does a lot of flying, please do take this seriously. I mean, I thought I was fit and healthy and I was blasé about flying and it's all fine. But what happened to me was a DVT. Suddenly my ankle swelled up, became really painful, then my knee. And then a week or two later, crippling pain in my back. And that's what it was. It was a PE. And so I've really been looking to reduce the amount of travel I do, as well as being on blood thinners now for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm uh, fit and healthy again, um, but I really would rather not be flying around the world the way I was. So it kind of changed my focus. And I, the work is so important. I mean, never have we needed listening more than we do now in the world. And 
so many people are frustrated that they can't get their message across or they want to become brilliant public speakers. I really want to get the work out there. The TED Talks have been seen by, I think, 100 million people now, which is amazing, but they're very short. And this course is seven and a half hours long. So it's a different order of magnitude altogether. And uh, so I've put that together and we've launched that. And I'm hoping that that's going to help get the work out to people all over the world, indeed, who I never would meet or be able to talk to in person and who can benefit from this for the rest of their lives. So those are the big things, really, that have happened since we last spoke. Not much. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly. Well, yeah, that uh, that's plenty, and and I'm so glad that you're 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 healthy and well and and with us and uh, continue to enrich uh, the world with with this good stuff. So, well, let's. Why don't we start with listening, shall we? You say that we're losing our listening. What's that about? Well, technology is a big part of that. Uh, attention spans are getting shorter. That there is that ridiculous number going around saying that human beings now have got less attention span than a goldfish. And that's nonsense. It was a complete misread of some original research, uh, which then got propagated and became an urban myth. Well, yeah, but why don't we set that straight? So, so what is the attention span? How do we measure it? What's the number? And is it declining? It's a piece of string, you know. All right. <laughs> I mean, how do you measure that? Uh, that's part of why the original study was nonsense. I mean, it's impossible to create an average attention span for human beings. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, what are you paying attention to? Is it one word, one thing, one concept? Uh, if I have another thought, does that mean my attention span's gone? It's very hard to define. But I think simply, heuristically, most people would agree that our attention is becoming uh, spread thin now. You know, Facebook's whole business model is about grabbing attention. Your attention right. is their product. I mean, that's what they're selling to advertisers. And that's just one medium, one channel that's trying to get your attention all the time. And they're using, I mean, I don't know if they're creating this or if it's us creating this, but FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out mm -hmm. is a huge thing. So, you know, we all have to check in every so often. Oh, somebody might have tagged me. Somebody might have tweeted about me. Somebody might have responded to something I've done. There's this incessant checking in need. And that takes us away from being present. You know, when you are going to listen to somebody, Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And yet most of the time we're doing four things at once, you know, and particularly, I know younger people are getting really almost addicted to multi-stream input. You know, if you're just watching a film, that's boring. You need to be commenting about it on a on a blog or a, or some sort of a, a website, uh, as well as doing something else, you know, talking to a friend and, and so on and so forth. So this multi-stream fast cut world that we're in, where we get very addicted to intensity, it means that a good old fashioned face-to-face -face conversation is about as outmoded as sitting down and listening to a whole album. Very few people mm -hmm. do that now. You know, it's track hopping. It's you know, even one track, a whole track. I don't listen to whole tracks. So this fast switching attention, uh, seeking stimulation, I think is a big part of why we don't listen so much. And the, the other element in it, I guess, is simply that noise is around us a lot in urban situations and we get deadened, we get numbed. Our, our, our listening simply becomes less sensitive. Um, we, we get used to discounting sound. Most of it's nasty. So why would you want to listen to it? And that becomes a habit. 
because listening is a skill, you know, it's a skill that we can develop and it's a very important skill for living effectively and for being happy and uh, also for being well. I mean, it's part of being well is, is listening to the, the sound around you and taking responsibility for what you consume through your ears. And there's an awful lot of people who are doing themselves an awful lot of damage by consuming unpleasant noise or loud sound, damaging their hearing, creating stress reactions. I'll give you one example of that. And not all of this is intentional, by the way. The average noise level in German classrooms these days is around 65 decibels, according to um, studies in Germany. And that's not surprising because of group work. You know, this is where all the kids are chattering mm -hmm. at once, working in small groups. Teachers have to shout to get over 65 decibels. So not only did one British teacher have a successful suit for losing her voice entirely in that kind of situation, but also the research shows that 65 decibels is the level at which your risk of heart attack is significantly elevated if you're chronically exposed. Now, teachers are chronically exposed. They work every day in that situation. So it's very likely that teachers are shortening their lives by working in that situation day after day. And yet we don't pay attention to it. You know, it's not ear damaging, 65 decibels, but it's definitely bad for your health. And that's happening all over the place. Traffic noise is blighting the lives of millions of people across the world who can't sleep at night. And sleep deprivation is a terrible thing long term. But unfortunately, there are no votes in noise. You know, you don't see a politician standing up and saying, vote for me. I'll make it quieter. Right. Just doesn't happen. Oh, all right. Well, so that is um, that's a, a nice thorough uh, response there in terms of what's going on behind losing our, our listening. And uh, when you talk about multi-stream input, boy, I can't resist but sharing my favorite tweet of all time. And I think you'll get the joke. It goes like this. Holding my child and just so present in this moment. Get it? She's tweeting about holding her child and being present in the moment. It's like people who go on holiday <laughs> and you say, how was your holiday? And they say, I'll let you know when I get the, when I see the photographs. You know, it's, it's that, <laughs> that old thing, isn't it? Living life vicariously, uh, having to have the commentary going the whole time. Yes, I do understand that. I, I, I only wasn't laughing because it's sad. <laughs> that's, oh, <okay. laughs> that's, you know, that's a sad thing, isn't it? it well, yeah, uh, indeed. It, it is... Um... If you zoom in, it, like if, if that is indeed a kind of a habitual life experience for that uh, that tweeter, yes. then then yes, that, that might have would. been ironic. Of course, you never know. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that oh, could be. okay. So that's the problem. So losing our listening because of a, a number of of reasons and sources. Mm. And so you've got a, a number of exercises you recommend to to help improve conscious listening. Uh, can you share a couple of those that are are the most helpful for folks? Definitely will. Just before I do, can I speak for a moment about the circular relationship between speaking and listening? Because that's really important. Oh, sure. I mean, I think it's quite interesting. My TED Talk on speaking has been seen by about six times as many people as my TED Talk on listening. Yeah. And that says something about our priorities. We're much keener to be heard than to listen uh, in general. And so it's really important that people understand if you want to be heard, it is crucial to be a good listener. It's much, much easier to speak to somebody you understand and to speak to somebody that you've got some sort of rapport with than to be missing the mark completely because you're misinterpreting the person. You don't care. You don't know. You don't, you know, who are they? You're likely to miss the target entirely. There's this circular relationship. The way I speak affects the way you listen. 
the way you listen affects the way I speak and the way I speak affects the way you speak and the way I listen affects the way you listen. So it's dynamic. It's going all the time between two people talking or one person talking to a group or one person on a stage talking to hundreds. doesn't matter. There's this circle going all the time. And that's why really that it's the central thesis of, of the book and the course that in order to be a great, powerful speaker, if you want to be effective, if you want to build team, if you want to inspire, motivate, lead, any of those things, or even just have a happy family life and be heard in life, you need to be listening as well. You can't do it if you're not listening. And listening is a skill. So that was a preamble. Well, yeah, that's good. For the six times as many people who are interested in being heard, you know, here's your why <laughs> to listen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't care about listening. I want to speak. <laughs> I want people to listen to me. Well, they will if you listen to them. I mean, there's a question that I suggest. It's a really core question in, in the book and in the course uh, is the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? That is such an important question because listening changes from person to person. It changes over time as well for one person. You know, our listening change, changes after lunch, you're a bit sleepy, or changes if you've just had brilliant news or if you've just had terrible news, you know, emotions affect all of the filters we develop through life, values, attitudes, beliefs, intentions, expectations, assumptions about what people think of us, the language you speak, the culture we're born into, all these things affect our listening. That means every human being's listening is unique. So it is really important not to assume everybody listens like I do, which is a very common mistake, and to ask the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? That is a great exercise if you want to become a powerful speaker and if you want to develop relationships with people and, and work on your listening. It makes listening fascinating because you're listening to the listening. You're observing the person that you're speaking to. Um, with your eyes, with every sense that you've got. And you simply have to ask the question, what's the listening? And I promise everybody listening to this, by getting into the habit of asking that question, you will naturally generate the sensitivity. It doesn't require a course or a degree or anything like that. It's natural. And we say, what's the listening? You've got uh, a number of, of categories. Well, yes, uh, there are many ways to listen. And it, it's simple things. You know, if you're talking to somebody who's very slow, then you can slow down. Now, to some degree, people with empathy will do that naturally, but there are an awful lot of people who have never generated much empathy and who will rattle away at their own natural pace, regardless of the person they're speaking to, whether they're faster, slower, uh, whether they have a particular uh, listening style, you know, they're, they're particularly warm and emotive. Uh, they want to, or they're somebody who just wants the top, give me the, give me the summary. I don't, I'm not interested in all that stuff. Uh, or somebody who wants the facts and figures, you know, there, there's a, there are variations. Uh, that one's called think, feel, know, three classes of people. There are lots of ways of cutting people up like that, uh, dividing people into groups. The important thing is to look at the person in front of you and to understand them, listen to the listening and ask yourself the question because naturally you'll start to adapt your style. So if it's a slow person, you can simply slow down a little bit and be a little bit calmer. Or if it's a really fast person, you can start to speed up and you can become more energetic and so forth. That is fundamental. So that's one exercise I do recommend to everybody. Uh, it'll improve your speaking and your listening skills. Silence, a few minutes of silence every day, 
that's a really good thing to do. Silence is the baseline. And it's quite rare in urban situations now that we get any silence at all. I'd be happy to define silence as absence of human noise, a birdsong, running water, wind in leaves. Those are pretty acceptable departures from absolute silence. It's rare that we will get absolute silence anyway. And if you can't get it, anything approximating to it, just a quiet room, that'll be fine, even if there's a little background hum of some kind. You're sitting with yourself, recalibrating your ears, because silence is the baseline. Silence is the base for all sound. It's what makes sound meaningful, after all. It's the gaps between the words that make speech meaningful. And the same thing for music, of course. With no gaps, it's simply cacophony. So silence is very important. And if you can re-establish your relationship with silence, it will make your listening more acute. And also, every time you encounter it, it kind of recalibrates your ears. Like a sorbet in a meal, it resets you, and it allows you to listen again afresh. Any recording engineer will tell you that. They have to stop every hour or so, go and sit somewhere quiet, because otherwise they go deaf, really, to the mix. They can't, they can't hear it anymore. Yes, I've heard that from my audio engineers. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> I work them hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, think, I mean, not so much with human voice. You can go on longer, but if it's, if it's you know, serious music, then you really do need those gaps. Another great exercise is rasa. And apart from being the Sanskrit word for juice, that stands for receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. So receive is actually facing the person and looking at them. You know, it's amazing how much partial listening we do in the world. I am listening to you. No, you're typing away on a mobile. You're doing a text. That's not listening. That's doing a text. So doing nothing else. It's a great, great gift to give somebody, to give them 100% of your attention, to just lay everything else down, stop and try it. And honestly, I recommend anybody listening to this, after you've heard this podcast, go and try this at home. You know, when you get home, actually listen to the people in your family or to the first people you come across, your friends or whoever it is. And you'll probably find their reaction will be something like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're not used to it at all. They're used to you being half out of the room or doing something else or tapping away on something. And they're getting the scrag end of your attention, as we would say in the UK. So it's a wonderful gift. I reckon there are billions of people on this planet who've never been properly listened to in that way. So that's receive. Face them. Lean forward, eyes on them, doing nothing else. Appreciate is the little noises and gestures that we make to show that we're with them in the conversation. So it's, hmm, oh, really? Uh -huh. Which, you know, you're not doing at the moment because we're on a kind of radio style conversation and it's a bit disconcerting for the listeners. Oh, I was just uh, tweeting. Sorry, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> As you do with, uh, yes, I'm watching the football here at the same time. So radio's got its own rules or podcasting has got its own rules for this. But in a normal conversation, you'd be doing that. I'd be doing that. And it's, if you're face to face, gestures too, little raised eyebrows, smiles, nods, bobs of the head, you know, that kind of thing that we mirroring gestures. Uh, we do that naturally if we're really engaged. The S is summarize. And that is very, very important too. The word so. I would like to form a society for the preservation of the word so, which is becoming entirely abused, I'm sad to say. 
You know, I'll say to people, what's your name? So I'm John. I'm sorry, you're John because I just asked you. So has a logical flow, this, so, that. It's the same as then or thus or therefore. And in conversation, it's a really, really powerful word. I've even seen people walk onto the TED stage and start to talk with the word so. Well, so what? Hang on. We have, there's, no, there's no point of reference here. Uh, it's becoming debased by being deployed in that way, I think. But it's really powerful. So allows you to close doors in the corridor of your conversation. So what I've understood you to say is this. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Now we move on to that. Or if you're in a meeting. So what we've all agreed now is this. Let's move on to topic two. If you haven't got a so person in a meeting, it can be a very, very long meeting indeed, going round in circles. What is it they say about meetings? Meetings are places where you take minutes and waste hours. Mm -hmm. We all know that one. And then the A is ask. Ask questions all the way through at the beginning, at the end. Open-ended questions are good. Why, what, where, when, how, who? Uh, because they preclude the answer yes or no, and they get more information. Questions show you're interested, and they allow you also to make the conversation interesting for you because you can start to help direct it in the directions you find most stimulating. So that, that's really interesting. Tell me more about this is a, is a way of moving the conversation into the areas you find most interesting, profitable, useful, fascinating, stimulating, whatever it may be. So that's rasa, very useful exercise in conversation. Now, so uh, I said, so, oh, you got me on hyper alert here. No, that, well, that's, that's good because that, <laughs> there was a natural flow there. Therefore, thus, that's correct. I see. As opposed to indiscriminately thrown anywhere and being your, your vocal pause crutch. Yes, absolutely. It is very, very important. It's a, a little word, but it's a very important little word. And I talk about words to avoid in speaking. Let's grab a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We could, we could have fun with that. The, I, mean, I was just going to say one of those that's like bindweed, because the moment you start using it, it, it will crop up all over the place. The word just. Now, as an adjective, that's terrific. You know, he's a just man, just meaning fair and so forth. That's a lovely word. But as an adverb uh, or a modifier, particularly as a, as a minimizer, it's a pernicious little word that will creep in all over the place. You know, he's just a child. Well, okay, that's somewhat patronizing. But it's when we use it to minimize our own, I'll just have one. Has anybody ever just had one and regretted it? Mm -hmm. I get a lot of emails that are just following up. Yes, just following up. It kind of, it's an excuse. And I do this on stage a lot. Uh, so I come on and I say, I'd just like to start with some housekeeping announcements. And then I go back and redo the thing and come on and say, I'd like to start with some housekeeping announcements. Now, which one of those is most powerful? It's the second one, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the first one, the just, is saying, sorry, do you mind if I... Yeah, it's an apology. It's a kind of Weasley apology, minimizing the effect. So when you send an email saying, just following up, it's a kind of apology. Sorry to bother you. I'm just following up. It's only, that's all I'm doing. It's just a little tiny thing. And I think that word is one to be aware of. I'm not saying never use it, but I am saying you might have a little alarm bell ringing when you use this and say, would it be more powerful to delete? I nearly said just to delete that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's where it starts to get in. The other word that I really recommend banning altogether from vocabulary 
is the word should. I cannot think of a single profitable use of that word. If we use it to other people, it's judgmental. You should really lose some weight. Ouch. Or if we're using it on ourselves, it's self-recriminatory and it's kind of wallowing in guilt. I should have done that. I should have been. I should have, you know, that, that it, it, there's no good outcome from that particular word. Uh, I will. That's a different thing. Uh, I've learned the lesson. I did this. I will in future do that. Should. I can't see the use of it personally. So I banned it from my vocabulary quite a long time ago. And I've been happier since, I think. All right. Well, thank you. So those are some things not to say. And I also want to get your view in terms of you got the listening part down in rapid, rapid summary format. What are your, your top pieces of wisdom that you think folks really need to absorb when it comes to speaking such that they're heard after they've done their listening? There is content and there is delivery. And they're both important. Actually, for the book, I interviewed Chris Anderson, the head of TED, and asked him that question, which is the most important, Chris? And he said, well, they're both important, but if forced to choose, I would go for content because I will sit and stay with somebody who's delivering earth-shattering content in a pretty boring way. However, if somebody is delivering vapid nonsense brilliantly, it's just irritating, isn't it? Agreed. Yeah. So content is very important. If you want to be heard, then getting your content right is crucial. And that again comes back, if you ask me, to asking the question, what's the listening? I mean, it's a question I ask myself before I'll do any talk to a group of people or, you know, even thousands of people. What's the listening I'll be speaking into? Are they going to want facts and figures? Are they going to want to hear about all aspects of sound, speaking, listening, or is it a particular aspect which is going to touch their lives? What are their problems? What are the things I can give them which will give them value in their lives? Asking yourselves those questions is really important so that you start automatically, you start to have a sensitivity for what, of all the things you could talk about, which ones are going to be valuable to that person. And that's another part of the the secret here, isn't it? It's not about you. It's about them. Mm Mm-hmm. Any speaker who goes on stage and it's all about me, that's not going to work too well. Um, There are two particular addictions I think we have as as a society now which get in the way of designing good content. And those are looking good. We all like to look good. But if it becomes what you're about, that really doesn't fly very well in any conversation and particularly not on stage. And the other one is if, if there's one thing we like more than looking good, It's being right. Now, if you get into being right, that makes you very hard to listen to. I think it's like a hole in the bucket. And the easiest way to be right, of course, is to make somebody else wrong. Hence, we have this kind of addiction to outrage going with the media. We have Mm -hmm. polarization in politics. We have the politics of shouting. It's not the politics of listening, is it? It's insults. It's demonization, it's caricaturing, and that is a slippery slope. That's a long, slippery slope down to some pretty unpleasant stuff because listening is the doorway to understanding, and if we don't understand, if we're not interested in understanding people or listening to people we disagree with, then civil society kind of breaks down. I gave a TEDx talk in the Houses of Parliament and again in Athens, the cradle of democracy, arguing that listening actually is the sound of democracy. 
because without it, democracy will not work. We have to have civilized disagreement. And it's impossible to have that if you're in the business of, if you disagree, I'm going to shout you down or even worse, go down that slippery slope. If, if I disagree with you, I'll kill you, which is what ISIS mm -hmm. is all about and so forth. So I think it's very important to consider the other person in conversation. And that really will help to shape what we're saying. The content will be much more accurate. I think it was Barack Obama who said, I like to listen to people, especially when I disagree with them. And listening is a very good way of refining your content as well, dynamically, I'm talking about. So you might start a conversation with an agenda, with some things you believe are going to be valuable or interesting to talk about, having thought about the person you're speaking to, and then it'll get reformatted as the dynamic conversation takes place. Well, if you're not listening to them, they won't listen much to you. Whereas if you listen carefully to them, ask them questions, people love talking about themselves. You know, for anybody who's listening to this, who says, nobody ever listens to me, try listening to them. Become a great listener. Ask them questions, little questions. Really, tell me more. That is a gold dust phrase. Tell me more about that. Because it draws people out. It shows you're interested in them. It creates a, a kind of dynamic of interest which will then reflect back and they'll start asking you questions and you can speak. So that's the way it goes. Listening and speaking always in this dance. And of course, content is only part of the story because there's also how you say it. There's, there's what you say and how you say it. Yes, indeed. And it is unfortunate for some people that they have challenges to overcome with their voice. I mean, we're all born with this amazing instrument, the human voice, which can do anything from, you know, Tibetan undertone chanting to Pavarotti to, you know, you name it. It is an incredible instrument. Most people, in my experience, are only exploring a small fraction of the capability and power of their voice. So if you really want to be heard, my strongest advice to you is go get a coach. We don't get taught how to speak in schools. Even less do we get taught how to listen, by the way. We get taught how to read and write, speaking and listening. We're expected to pick those up along the way somehow. And yet they're both really important skills. So there's the vocal toolbox that I went through in, I think it was 12 minutes in the TED Talk on speaking. And the vocal toolbox is something that most people don't even know they have. You know, you can rummage around in there and you can play with things like pitch, pace, prosody or prosody. Uh, I prefer the prosody pronunciation, but each to their own. Uh, silence, gaps, volume level, where you can get really loud, or you can whisper to make a point. So, you know, the dynamics of conversation are really, really important. One of the most significant things is varying. Mm -hmm. So if you have a voice that does this, every time you speak, you have this cadence, pretty soon you're going to get people going to sleep because they've heard everything that you've said, said in the same way over and over again. You know, it's like a hypnotic thing. You, you put people into a sort of trance by repetitive cadences. So it's very important to vary your pace, your tone and pitch, uh, not so much your timbre probably, although you can do that too. Uh, use silence, leave gaps. On, I mean, on stage, I won't do it now because this is again podcast slash radio and if you leave dead air people get very disconcerted and they start fumbling <laughs> to 
you know, have I lost the signal? But on stage, I, I demonstrate this. You know, I can go quiet for the longest time. I'm talking about 30, 45 seconds. That's a long time on stage. And everybody just sits there. Uh, the, the big fear most people have about public speaking is, is drying up. Well, you can take a long time to think. You do not have to fill in conversation or in a presentation or a talk. You don't have to fill every second with babble, with ums and ahs. And it makes it actually difficult to understand if you're always on. You need the light and shade, the valleys, to create the mountains. And that's a big part of delivering interesting content. Absolutely. And so I've put a, a good bit of effort into having some variance on my on my pace, on my pitch, and on my volume. Uh, can we hear a little bit about uh, the other three tools here that register the timbre and the, the prosody and how we might think about that? Absolutely. Uh, well, register, there are four registers actually of the human voice, and two of them are very rarely used. Uh, and I wouldn't recommend people using them. There's one I can't do at all, which is called whistle register. It's very, very, very high up. It's like an ultra soprano. So I wouldn't even try that. The next one down is falsetto register. And that will be familiar to anybody who likes Monty Python uh, or anybody who likes a great deal of pop music. So <laughs> Monty Python style. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Monty Python style is he's a very naughty boy. You know, um, these men ludicrously pretending to be women by moving into falsetto like this. You know, it's not the most powerful way to speak. It can be very good for singing. And all the way from the, the 50s, the 60s, you think of Frankie Valley, the 70s, the Bee Gees, more currently Coldplay, uh, all sorts of bands sing a great deal in falsetto. It's very acceptable as a powerful singing style. But if I walk on stage, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, lovely to be here. It's a little bit soft, ineffectual and deferential and uh, also comical. So I wouldn't recommend speaking there very much. The next one down is the one we use most of the time. It's the modal register. And that ranges all the way from your nose right down to your chest. Now, of course, your voice comes from your vocal cords, which are in your throat, but you can resonate in different places by focusing on that. So for example, if I go up into my nose here, you can hear the difference. And if I'm in my throat, this is a throat voice, which is a little bit light and what most people do most of the time. And then if I move down into my chest voice, you can immediately hear the bass coming because I'm resonating with my whole chest. That's a really big space. Now you can practice moving your voice around by placing your hand on your chest or your throat or your nose and trying to feel the vibration. I do recommend working on the chest voice because deeper generally means more significant in the terms of, in terms of voices. We vote for politicians mm -hmm. with deeper voices, other things being equal. Margaret Thatcher, the former British prime minister, had vocal coaching to lower her voice by a couple of tones because she felt that the higher female voice was being taken less seriously in the House of Commons. So it's a pretty good idea if you want to be taken seriously to be speaking down here instead of speaking up here. It's a simple thing and it can be practiced by anybody. Put your hand on your sternum, that bone in your chest, and practice resonating so you can start to feel the vibrations with your fingers. And that's a really good way of moving your voice down there. 
The final register is vocal fry. And unfortunately, it's become pretty common. Vocal fry sounds like this. You know, it's a very lazy way of speaking. I'm really excited about this. I don't think so. Uh, It's unfortunately a very common habit now among younger people. Started, I think, largely probably in the Valley, in the West Coast, Los Angeles style speaking. It's kind of cool to be like, yeah, well, hi, hi, how are you? It sounds kind of lazy, cool, insouciant, but also disengaged, pretty ugly. It's not very good for your voice. And if you want to speak powerfully, I do advise get out of there as quickly as possible, back into the modal register, get that chest voice going. I mean, it's a shame to hear people speaking like this because your voice is so powerful and so amazing and it can do so many things. So that's a little piece on registers and uh, quite useful to be conscious of these and to start taking control instead of letting it just be what you have habitually done your whole life. All right. Thank you. Then prosody or prosody. Uh, Well, that's the sing-song of speech. That's the way we vary our tone and our pace in order to be understood. So it's completely different to speak in this quite, quite lively, passionate way, as opposed to speaking entirely on one note and at one pace without any prosody at all. I don't think anybody would find this very interesting for very long. It's robotic, isn't it? It's boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word monotonous comes from monotone, one tone, speaking on one note. So we want to avoid that. Now, some people have very restricted prosody. Unfortunately, it's the way they've learned to speak or it's something natural. Again, you can work on that. And there are exercises in the book and in the course, particularly there are exercises which help to boost the range. I mean, that's what to do. It's like doing anything in a gym. You know, you work in a gym to build muscle. You might not need it all the time, but you give yourself more range. And it's the same thing with prosody. You can do exercises to increase your range and become more able to express yourself in a fascinating way. You know, you may not want to exaggerate it. You might not might not want to go completely like this. Nevertheless, it's good to have the range because you can then be conscious about how you deploy it. And again, there's culture here. Some cultures, you know, Italians, like, you know, again, Latin countries tend to be more expressive. Scandinavian countries tend to be a little bit more like this. Yes. We are wildly excited about this, mm-hmm. you know, and you just have to know. I remember doing a gig in Finland years ago and there, there was like, and I thought I bombed. What happened? And I went down for coffee and people were coming up to me and saying, that was the best talk we have had for many years. You know, so it's mm-hmm. just the way they are there. And you have to adapt. Again, it's part of what's the listening I'm speaking into to be, to adapt to the listening of the people you're talking to. You don't get a lot of whooping and hollering in Finland, that's for sure. All right. And timbre? Well, timbre is the feel of a voice. Uh, It's tasting the voice just like you would taste a hot chocolate. And and the words to describe voices that we tend to like are similar, actually, to the words you would use to describe a hot chocolate. Rich, dark, warm, sweet, smooth, those kind of words. If that's not you, don't panic because timbre can be adjusted a great deal. If you have a little squeaky voice or something like that, go and see a coach. And people always ask me, how do I do that? Well, simply search on the internet for vocal coach, 
voice coach, drama coach, singing coach, any of those, and you'll get to a group of people, phone some of them up, choose two or three that you get on well with on the phone, and you know you explain what you want and see if they can help you, and then have a tryout session. And then you'll find one that you really click with and you can do a program of work with over a series of months. And they will transform what you're able to do. They'll give you the power to project the understanding of breath and how to use it effectively, how to use your diaphragm effectively, posture, which is a huge part of the problem for a lot of people who are kind of slumped over or stretching or compressing their vocal cords. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at a desk speaking into a microphone. If I sit like most people do uh, when they're having conversations, leaning forward like this, you can hear the effect on my voice because I'm stretching my vocal cords and it's not going to be me at my best. I can't get into my chest voice from here. On the other hand, if I put my head right back into my shoulders, I'm compressing my vocal cords and it sounds like this. So having your vocal cords vertical and having good posture is a very important part of speaking powerfully, freeing your voice to do its best and of looking like you are confident. Again, if you're, if you're doing, you know, the Amy Cuddy Ted talk about power poses, right? If anything that makes you bigger, boosts your testosterone, makes you look bigger. If you're one of those people whose whole gesture template is about making yourself smaller gestures where you're crouched or hunched or folded or whatever it may be, Again, that's going to affect the way people receive you because they can see that you don't feel confident. So there are things to practice here. A vocal coach or a drama coach can certainly help with any of those. Well, Julian, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot there, haven't we? I come back all the time to that key question, what's the listening? Because listening is at the center of everything. And I really do think never have we needed listening in the world more than we do right now. Interrupting has become an absolute epidemic. It's very, very rare to hear anybody speak uh, in a media program uh, for more than 20 seconds without being interrupted. And that's not just there, by the way. I came across a horrifying stat the other day in your country, in America. Do you know the average length of time that you or I get to speak when we go and see our doctor before we get interrupted? This is our opening. So what's wrong with me, doctor, is how long do you think they give us? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not far off, actually. It's 18 seconds is the average, average 18 seconds. So some are shorter than that. How you can get an idea of what's wrong with somebody in nine seconds or seven seconds, I have no idea. I've barely been able to say my name in that time. So I think it is, it's a pandemic, this interrupting impatience. We need patience to listen. Um, there are four C's I talk about in the book and the course for good listening, which are consciousness, that is to say, being aware you're doing something. It's not like hearing. Hearing is a natural capability. Listening is a skill. You're practicing a skill. The second C is compassion. It is really important to be compassionate, to seek to understand the other person. If that's where you're coming from, you can listen really, really well. Uh, the third C is commitment. And because you have to stop doing other things in order to listen well, and that does take commitment. And I would always recommend, again, if you want to be heard, it's worth making a little contract in a conversation. As in, do you have five minutes? Because I'd really like to speak to you. 
And if they say yes, you have that contract for five minutes. If you pile in <laughs> and you haven't asked their permission, you may well be pushing water uphill here or, you know, working into the wind. It could be they've got other things going on you don't know about and you're rudely interrupting whatever they're doing. And the final C, which is possibly the most important one, is curious, curiosity, ferocious curiosity to learn something. I might learn something here. Where are they coming from? I think that is absolute rubbish. But how on earth is it they thought that? Why do they, why do they have that point of view? That kind of dialogue in your head makes you a much better listener. So the four C's of good listening, and I do encourage everybody to pay attention to their listening. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? The first is my favorite quote of all time, probably, about listening, which is from Ernest Hemingway, who said, I like to listen. I've learned a great deal from listening carefully. Most people never listen. And he's absolutely right. The other quote I'll give you relates to organizations, because I imagine quite a lot of people listening to this, given the nature of the podcast, are working in organizations or even running organizations. The Organizational Listening Project was done in 2016, and it reviewed a whole range of different organizations. And it found, and here is the quote, most organizations listen sporadically at best, often poorly, and sometimes not at all. So the problem is individual and the problem is organizational as well. We need to address it. All right. And could you share a favorite book? The Universal Sense by a guy I know quite well, Seth Horowitz, who's an expert in many different forms of sound. And it is a fascinating book, very easy to read, about why hearing is so universal, why it is that there are virtually no vertebrates on this planet without ears. There are plenty without eyes. But hearing is such a universal sense. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, there are lots of levels for anybody who's, you know, kind of found what I'm talking about here interesting. The book, of course, is available at all the usual places. It's called How to Be Heard. You can go to my website, juliantreasure.com. And if you pop your email address in there, then we will send you five listening exercises, two of which I've talked about in this podcast, little videos by me, absolutely free which are good exercises for improving your conscious listening skills. And if you want to access the course, that's at www.speaklistenb.com. And it's currently on, I think, with a big discount. So it's worth going there and checking that out if you're serious about speaking powerfully. And then you know, if you're interested in Midsonic, the Sound Agency's website is www.thesoundagency.com. And there's a separate website for Moodsonic at moodsonic.com. So there's plenty of resources there. Look forward to anybody who comes by. I'd love to hear from you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes, listen. It is really as simple as that. Ask yourself that question. What's the listening I'm speaking into? So I would actually just refine it. Listen to the listening. Get into that habit and I really believe you'll find it transforms your communication at work. If you start to listen to the listening, asking yourself that question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? Mm -hmm. Julian, this has been a treat. Uh, I wish you lots of luck in all the ways that you hear and are heard. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, really good to be back. So thank you, Pete. And I hope everybody got something out of that.
I really appreciated Julian's question. He came back to again and again. I had to chew on it a little bit. He said, what's the listening here? And in a way, I like that he sort of turned that into a shorthand means of, we've heard a million times, like, oh, you got to understand the audience. You sort of know the audience. But when you ask the question a little bit differently, what's the listening here in terms of specifically what are the person I'm speaking to going to be listening for? What are they interested in? What are they concerned about? What are, what are they seeking out? What's the listing here? It serves as, as a handy shorthand that I find is surfacing more good stuff in my thinking associated with understanding the audience, which can feel like a bit of a generic uh, kind of a suggestion. So great stuff from Julian. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links, the items we've referenced is at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F536. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It's John C. Maxwell, one of the biggest leadership authors who's, boy, alive today. So he's back for more. And we are talking about the, the greatest return a leader can make in terms of like a return on your time, your effort. Uh, what is that? Spoiler alert, it's all about uh, multiplying and developing more leaders. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.